Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm okay. A little tired. It's been a, uh, I, I was on a vacation and then I was back in Taiwan for 24 hours and then I was off. Uh, usually I, I don't like to say when I'm traveling, I like to be incognito. I'm like a spy mm-hmm. flitting, flitting around the world. But uh, I was at the Code Media Conference, which they they kindly or unkindly posted an article about it. So most people know. So okay. I am here. I'm in Los Angeles and I'm happy to talk to you. Uh, yeah. If you are going to be incognito, uh, I would either recommend don't get your phone calls recorded by the American Intelligence Service or don't have Recode post photos of you all over the internet. Both of those <laughs> things are good if you want to stay incognito. Well, I guess I'm I'm kind of screwed on both counts. So uh, we are, once again, as always, sponsored by MailChimp. MailChimp can automate your marketing so you can get back to work. MailChimp, you get enterprise-level automation without any of the headaches. You can send an onboarding series to introduce new subscribers to your business organization. You can automatically follow up with customers after a purchase and recommend other products that they'll love. Surprise your best customers with a coupon triggered by their shopping behavior. Remind customers of the products they've left in their cart and encourage them to complete their transaction. Re-engage inactive subscribers. There's all kinds of things you can do with MailChimp. So check it out. And our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring our podcast as they do every week. Yes, very happy to have them as a sponsor. So this is in some respects a sort of uh, part two of a podcast we did a few weeks ago where mm. we talked about how Instagram really kind of effectively copied Snapchat. And you know, say what you will about you know, how that makes you feel at the end of the day, you know, we had this whole scoreboard discussion and that was, you know, they, they scored a bucket as it were. They, they did indeed. They did. And, and now is kind of the second part of that, which is Snapchat's S1 is now public. It's actually public a couple weeks ago, but I inconveniently went on vacation the exact same day that they dropped the ben. S1. I know. I, I, I should plan my vacations better. Obviously. Actually, they should, they should plan their ideas. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. I'm not going to comment on that. Well, one could argue they are filing way too early, but we could get to that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> so I wrote about that this week. Uh, fortunately, I felt that my sort of take on it was still relatively fresh. So we will we will discuss it discuss it now more instead of the Instagram angle, really the Snapchat angle, and and what are their sort of is this a viable business kind of going forward. I gotta confess, I really enjoyed your week. I mean, I always enjoy your weekly updates, but I really enjoyed your weekly update um, this week because a I thought the parallel was spot on that you drew, and I'll let everybody well, and and b uh, anytime uh, we can bring things back to the good old like Apple Microsoft wars of the nineteen nineties <laughs> just makes me happy. So really, we are good in, job. this podcast is in James wheelhouse. Uh, right. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I still don't know how to use Snapchat, but other than that, we might be doing okay. So the, I started out just looking at the getting in the financials and, and frankly, Snapchat's financials are not good. They're, they're not good at all. And the, and what's not good about them is on the cost side. They are spending, the more customers they get, the more they're spending per customer. And that's really the opposite direction that that metric should be going. Yeah, that that's true. There's always a, I mean, in the long run, you want that to be true. There has to, there, you want to hit a point with user acquisition where that's definitely the case, or you obviously end up in really big trouble. But as you've, as we've seen with Twitter, at more important at this phase of a company's development is 
audience acquisition. And if you're spending heavily, whether it's direct user acquisition or building out amazing products in order to drive user acquisition further down the line, that makes me a little less nervous about it. But then it comes back to the point you just made around maybe they're filing this a little too soon. Well, what's interesting, just just to, to focus on the cost for just a second, what's mm. really interesting is you do expect companies to be investing in user acquisition in particular, right? Mm. But And research and development. But those are fixed costs. And the idea is those fixed costs will be spread out in ever-increasing user base. So you do want a growing company to be investing heavily. And their costs, you know, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a bad thing that their costs are well exceeding their revenue in a vacuum. And this is something that people, you know, always get, you know, get confused about when it comes to startup companies. Like, wow, this company is so wildly unprofitable. Well, that's why you have to get down into like the unit cost. Like, how mm-hmm. much is does it cost to serve one customer? And that's what's interesting about Snapchat. It's not just that their overall costs are high, their their acquisition costs or their R and D costs. Their actual marginal costs to serve a customer is is high and it's increasing. And that's something that is actually different than it's certainly different than Facebook, which is you know certainly the gold standard in many respects. But mm-hmm. it's different than Twitter too. I mean, Twitter had a very stable cost about fifty cents per user their their cost of revenue, whereas Snapchat is 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 increasing, and and that's usually not what you would expect to see for a, a sort of company as large with as large a user base as they have. So it begs the question then: Why is that happening? Well, uh, the immediate finger people pointed was pointing to like, oh, because they're on Google App Engine and they they have this big contract and blaming cloud services. And that's not really accurate. If you actually go back to like Twitter's S1 and look at how much they were spending, because uh, Twitter was building out their own data centers. But the cost relative to the users wasn't that out of whack from what Snapchat's paying for, for Google App Engine. So I don't think it's really an issue of them renting a cloud versus building a cloud. Mm. What, what it really seems to be, and Snapchat said this in their S1, is as they add new services, it costs more to serve them. So when they do stuff like add those lenses, for example, right, where, like we've talked about, it's really fascinating because it's it's really the first widespread application of augmented reality, but that takes a whole lot of processing power. And that processing power, and as they add these features that, that literally cost processing power, they're paying for it. And and, and and what's interesting is they say that to, that they say that's their strategy. That, that's going to continue. It's not going to change because they feel their their moat, as it were. Well, they say there are no moats. They say what they can do is innovate faster than anyone else. So it, as as we're as we're talking about this, it's reminding me of the very first conversation that we had around Snapchat, not the one from last week, but the one from a few months back, and how they are just a A-plus example of a company that knows how to ladder up. And the speed at which they're doing that is like relative to, even by Silicon Valley standards, is pretty unparalleled. But the fact of the matter is laddering up like this and evolving your product so quickly and always pushing in this way that you're describing, like with the belief that there is no moats and I... I think like you are going to dispute that and it's a worrisome statement for a company to make. I, I like part of it, but another part of it concerns me. But this idea that they are laddering up so quickly and they are running so fast with innovation, the simple fact is like laddering up like this just doesn't come cheap. It doesn't. And 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 that's a it's a good way to frame it because this also isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It, it you know, 
and this is where I started to sort of draw the analogy to to Apple, where Apple spends like the cost of goods that go into an iPhone are very, very high. Like, you know, it's it's in the hundreds of dollars. And they're spending to get premium products, to get premium cameras, to get premium touchscreens, to get premium, premium, premium. And so their cost of goods is high and it's higher than their competitors, but they are making up for it by selling a very highly differentiated product. Mm-hmm. So this analogy that I kind of mentioned on here in, in this article, that was kind of the, the hook of the article is, you know, Snapchat is a lot like Apple and Facebook is a lot like Microsoft. And for all you youngins listening to this podcast, <laughs> that's how it, it was fascinating to see the reaction on Twitter to this, right? Because <laughs> the, like, there's a lot of people who kind of grew, only grew up in this era when Apple has been dominant. And they're like, wow, Ben says Snapchat's like Apple. And I'm like, well, mm. <laughs> I, I did, but you know, the Apple of today winning on innovation is in is very different in some respects, but in some in other respects is also very similar to the first version of Apple that also sought to compete on innovation. Right. I mean, it's the, <laughs> the yes the 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 nature of. The nature of the personal computing market and the nature of the the difference between that and the phone market is something that we have litigated pretty extensively on this podcast. And Apple and the the way that the markets have evolved and the way that the consumer market is uh, much more important on the phone side than it was on the computer side and how consumers, uh, there are a portion of consumers that are willing to pay a lot more for a great experience meant that Apple was in a much better position in the phone market than it was in the PC market. In fact, this is one of the things that we've been talking about since day one, how how the, the nature of these two markets and how that plays out in things like disruption like mean that these are very, very different beasts and how Apple's done de- de- like decidedly better in one than in the other. So just to go back, because we, we we must always go back to the article that started our, you know, that was the seed of this <laughs> podcast, which is my writing article, What Clayton Christensen Got Wrong. And it was about why he continually got Apple wrong, in my estimation. And one of the critical points that I made in that article is that all of Christensen's scholarship around disruption involved B2B companies, like enterprise companies. And my contention was that B2C companies, consumer companies are different when it comes to this idea of of design. And what makes it different is that the buyer is the user. And what that means is there are things that can't be measured. There are user experience advantages. There are the seams that come with modularity that you feel when you're a user, but you can't put it in a spreadsheet. You can't measure it, right? And so when you have a situation, as you did in the 80s in the PC space, where the buyer was not the user, you won on features, you won on ecosystem, you won on all these other things, and the advantages that Apple brought to bear didn't matter. But in a consumer market, though, as the point you just made, like those it actually do matter. And so what in the, in the way this plays out is Apple is able to charge a premium and, but who's paying the premium? The the user who is also the buyer, which is the co- the key distinction between a consumer market and a B two B market. Right. So the problem for Snapchat 
in pursuing this, we're going to be pure innovation sort of strategy is that who is the user of the innovation that Snapchat produces? It is the uh, the the person who is opening the Snapchat uh, on uh, app on their phone, the quintessential millennial who loves Snapchat and thinks Facebook is for old people now. And who is the buyer? I.e., who is the one giving Snapchat money? It's going to be some big brand, well, some big company, and probably a marketing or a brand person inside said big company who is going out buying brand advertising on different networks, including on Snapchat. And they're different people. They are different people. And the real fundamental problem with Snapchat, as the company is currently constructed, is that I believe that innovation-led business models can work. And I think Apple is the shining example of that. And I've, I, I arguably built my career in the sense that I built Stratechery on making that point. Like That was one of the key points I hit again and again and again the entire first year of Stratechery, is that there, there is a difference in these markets, and Apple is not doomed. Apple is, in fact, far stronger than people appreciate because they have a systematic, reproducible way of, of delivering superior user experiences, mm-hmm. and users value that and will pay for it. The problem is that Snapchat is investing. They're spending all this money, and they have this brilliant product guy. I believe in even Spiegel as a product guy. But the problem is the business model, there's a mismatch because the people who value that innovation are not the ones paying for it. Uh, It is a a really, really interesting observation. Um, I think – there are there are a bunch of different ways this conversation could go from here. The 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 one that I think that no, the first question that I, I have to ask you is I would agree with the observation. And if I think about a lot of the consumer companies that are doing well from the perspective of aggregation theory, which is to an extent the same the the approach that Spiegel is inherently taking. Like we're going to create great products, we're going to aggregate users, and then we're going to make lots of money on the on the back of that. Like a lot of them are direct. Like they are the business model is aligned with that in terms of them raising money from the consumer, whether it's Netflix or whatever. But Facebook is also in a similar position to Snapchat. Are you saying that there's something? that like explain the distinction why you you're concerned about this with with Snapchat but not with Facebook because Facebook is Facebook's Microsoft right and this is where this is the this is the the final piece of the analogy I was trying to make in in, in this article mm. Facebook so let's let's go back because there's nothing and I'm I, I, I'm with you there's nothing I like relitigating more than the the Microsoft <laughs> Windows era of the 80s and 90s, in part because almost everyone gets it wrong. And I know we've corrected on this podcast, but we're going to do it again because it's it's important. It's it's actually really important to understand what happened then. So so everyone's like, because what, what I think mixes people up is that the, the Macintosh came before Windows. And so, and Windows was, clear, you know, was clearly, how shall we say it, inspired by <laughs> the Macintosh <laughs> as, as you litigated on a million message boards. Is that, is that a fair summary? No, that is a in, entirely <laughs> fair summary. I, I probably didn't use as nice a language as that back in the time either. <laughs> hey, you Aussies, I know you are. I, I know, just that's there. right. <laughs> so, but the key thing to understand is that Windows didn't come along in a vacuum, right? Windows was built on DOS and DOS came first. 
DOS came in 1981 with the IBM PC, and it mattered that it was the IBM PC. It wasn't just the random a random PC. It wasn't the Commodore. It wasn't even an Apple II. It was the IBM PC, and IBM had had a dominant hold on enterprise computing. And the reason the IBM PC even was produced in the first place is because there were other folks making PCs and you had you had employees clamoring for PCs, but all the buyers in these companies only wanted to buy from IBM, right? What's the old saying? Uh, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. That saying is critical to understand why why Windows won because people waited for the IMPC when when it came it sold like gangbusters like just sold a massive massive amount uh, 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 and and all the software developers came along you got this entire ecosystem that sprang up in a remar- remarkably quickly and so when the Macintosh launched three years later the market was gone the enterprise market way was gone and so Windows could leisurely come along borrowing ideas. And of course, Windows was going to go on all those computers because all those computers were backwards compatible with all this stuff that already existed. And and so the Mac. And meanwhile, they're really you know the Macintosh was at heart a consumer computer. It was meant for the normal person, right? And the pe- person who would value the interface, the buyer seller sort of connection. But that market didn't yet exist. Normal people weren't buying computers then. Yeah, and in the meantime, they off. I mean, they focused into education or desktop publishing, which, I mean, on the education side, there was an obvious advantage, like being able to teach students. It was much easier than getting them to learn a command line interface. And similarly, the desktop publishing uh, uh, market, that was one market which actually uh, valued it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they really valued the fact that this was intuitive and really well designed and they wanted to use it as part of their workflow. And so that's where they did make inroads in the meantime. Right, exactly. But by and large, like it was always a very small mm. piece of the market. And it was, again, it, it, that the reason it was a small piece of the market had nothing to do with what Apple did. It wouldn't have mattered if Apple had pursued a modular approach. It wouldn't have mattered if Apple had licensed Mac OS. Like all, because what actually mattered was that there was an entire ecosystem around DOS that Windows plugged right into. And that's what mattered. That mattered more than anything else. And it's so, like, this is the mistake you see so often made in technology analysis where people get so focused on the technology itself, right? Or even get, get, get focused on, like, the individual decisions of the companies. But honestly, there was not a single thing, even if Apple had done everything ideally perfectly that everyone says they should have, it wouldn't have made any difference. The die was cast for the PC market in the 80s before before they even started building the Mac. Yeah. And 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 again, all the things we've talked about, like the, the difficulties of distribution for things like software back in the old world, where it was very much a ground war of you having to go territory by territory and get your software on the shelf and your and your hardware on the shelf, to be honest, as opposed to the, the world that we live in right now, where it's it's the air war of the internet and you can drop a piece of software and people can install it on the app store uh, with a click of a button like that makes it that means you can survive as a a quote unquote niche uh, a niche player with a niche ecosystem much more easily than back in the day where you had to hunt and scrounge to try and find software to run on this expensive fancy looking computer that you just bought right and it was it was even more extreme when it came to enter- like hardcore enterprise software right, right. I mean because there it wasn't just the you know finding it but like the entire ecosystem of like you know, value-added resellers and installers and like mm. maintainers and everything was all centered around 
around that, you know, that particular eco- ecosystem. And this is, I mean, this parallel between Snap and um, Snap and Facebook and uh, Apple and Microsoft. I and and old Apple, old Microsoft. This notion, this notion, not the current one, the old one, back when these dynamics were at work. I thought it was a really, really, really good analogy. I really enjoyed it. And so, one of the things we talked about last week was. Well, not last week, two weeks ago, when we talked about Snap and how both of us, um, both of us appreciate this idea that innovation should win in the market, that uh, it's okay for companies to copy each other, and that generally works out really well for the consumer. And I still agree with that. But it's interesting because this angle on it, looking at it from the company's perspective, makes it is is interesting because like when you're on the other side of that when you're fighting it out for one of these markets it becomes a question of what you should do and what's interesting to me was the the your characterization of snap's strategy as a <laughs> gingerbread man strategy and i'm not going to be the one to say what the gingerbread man strategy is i think you should because i think it's so friggin' awesome what's a gingerbread man strategy ben it run 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 as fast as you can you'll never catch me and the gingerbread man that's oh, i laughed when i read that it's like a really awesome way of describing- I, I i want i wanted to title the article snaps gingerbread man strategy but like i was trying i was trying to go beyond that but i i that wouldn't have been an accurate title per se, because I was, you know, saying it's not really a gingerbread strategy. It's more like an Apple strategy, but it was it was awfully tempting, I have to say. Uh, it was the 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 way of pulling that in out of left field was super entertaining, and I like in the context of this, I think it is half right. I think this idea that companies should innovate as fast as as they can. Uh, you, you described it earlier on as like believing in companies that have an innovation first strategy. I think that. They are awesome, and I think it results in everybody, everybody winning, the company winning, the market winning, consumers winning. But the thing that's scary is y- you have to run to a moat. You can't just perpetually keep running or those numbers that you described at the start where the costs will continue to rise even as you acquire more revenue, like you have to run to a moat. And even if you secure the moat and keep running, good for you. But like those moats are where the money is made. And if all you do is keep running, you will get exhausted. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, just to just to go back to your question that you kind of started this conversation about why is that not a problem for Facebook? Well, because Facebook is in the moat, right? Or they have the the massive moat. And that moat is, you know, what makes Facebook so powerful is that Facebook, you know, what made Microsoft so powerful, just to back up a sec, is that mm. they, they leveraged IBM's power in the enterprise. Mm. And they leveraged that into their own power. Facebook leveraged the relationships that already existed, the offline relationships between friends and family, and they put that online. And mm. and so, again, this is not to take anything away from Facebook's innovation or anything on those lines, but it's critical to understand that they weavered into their position and their, and their UI and their user experience is good enough to maintain that as an advantage. So, no, they it's not that they won by being a superior user experience per se. They won by winning by capturing by digitizing that powerful network that already existed and putting it online 
And and the ability for someone to come along after someone's done that is extremely limited because like the advantage of once you have a network like that where you know and like when you're using it for friendships and family, the, 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 the rationale, like the extent to which the next thing must be that much better for you to want to attempt to join another network and sign up again and try and find a network that has everybody and find all those people, like the extent to which that must then be better for you to invest in going through that process is so high that it only needs to be good enough, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And that's and that's why, you know, and that's why Snapchat's frankly so impressive mm. that they got as far as they have in a world where they were building it from scratch. And, and, and this is why Twitter was impressive too, because Twitter did the same thing. Like Twitter built its network basically from scratch and you know if you actually if you want to talk about a company Instagram you know how did Instagram get their network do you remember uh actually i don't i they wasn't... Li- they lifted it off of twitter like that's why twitter huh. cut off the connection between instagram and twitter cuz it used to be when you signed up for instagram you could auto import your entire twitter network and be connected to all of them immediately so they they so i mean instagram as as well engineered and well done an app as it is uh has a Let's just say that the stories lifting from Snapchat is not the first such episode in their history. Well, I mean, you know what? If 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 uh, Twitter allowed them to do it, then go for it. You know, no, I'm, I, you know, I'm not again. Yeah, I'm not. I don't begrudge them doing it. I'm just observing, <laughs> making an observation. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think that one is on Twitter for for letting that letting that be. But you're absolutely right. The ability to to have the insight. I mean, it's just a reminder, like that these it, it, to get these things off the ground when it requires a network. It must mean they're really onto something in order for someone to go at least partway to replicating some version of what Facebook's already done. And in Twitter's in Twitter's uh, instance, it was understanding that the people that you're friends with and the topics that you might be interested in and the people you'd want to connect with on the basis of those topics are different. Like that's an incredible insight and and power to them that they, I mean, it's, it's, it's a standing question how they're doing right now, but power to them Not that well. they- yeah, I know. Okay, don't rub it in. I love Twitter. Leave Twitter alone. Like uh, it's that they got out of they got out of orbit. Maybe not all the way, but they got as far out of orbit as they did on the basis of recognizing that. And same thing goes for Snapchat that they were able to get as far as they have when a network existed that kind of kind of did the same thing is like a mighty impressive effort, right? Absolutely, and and, and that's why you know if anything, the reason to to bet on them going forward is that they've made it, you know, as far as that, it really is the gingerbread strategy. They've made it this far. Maybe they could make it even farther. Right. But, but yeah, the, the problem is at some point you have to build a business mm. and the building a business is hard and it's a different skill and it's a different approach than, than necessarily building. They can be connected. They ought to be connected, but the, you know, the, I just, I just come back to this idea where, you know, because what happened? What happened with the stories thing? Just to, you know, we covered this a couple weeks ago. But mm. what happened with Instagram Stories? Instagram Stories added it, and what it did was it closed. You know, Snapchat had opened a user experience delta between itself and Facebook properties, where it had these compelling reasons to use Snapchat that were so compelling that people would go to the trouble of 
joining a new network for all the, you know, for all the things that you just talked about. Mm. And by adding stories, again, I don't think, you know, it's not that Instagram was like necessarily stealing people away or maybe, maybe they were to some degree. It's that they were closing that Delta the between between Instagram and, and, and Snapchat. And once that Delta becomes less than the pain of change or the cost of change, people don't change. And it, again, it's very, it's very problematic for Snapchat that there is such a direct correlation between Instagram stories and their slowdown in growth. This is, I mean, and when you're, when your business and the the nature of the type of innovation that you have is anchored particularly in software and particularly in the user experience of software as opposed to things that can't be easily copied this presents like quite the conundrum because you you i mean how fast do you have to learn to run in order to outrun this gargantuan thing behind you that has this massive network that sees what you do, sees what you do and then just implements it for all their existing users like cutting off your potential for growth because there's uh, the, because of the the dynamics of the pain that you just described right and then the problem is i mean snapchat's bet is they will have the most you know desirable demographics spending the most time in their app and so that's the place where as brand dollars move away from tv onto mobile they will capture them i mean you're getting into a lot of um you, there's a, a analogy my my, a former manager I used to make is a double bank shot, <laughs> which you know I don't I I, I don't want to tutor you about the physics of basketball, James. Please, but, Ben. I'm, <laughs> but I'm a you, swimmer and a yogi, I know nothing when, about basketball. <laughs> when you bounce the ball off the backboard and it goes in the hoop, that's called a bank shot. Mm. To do a double bank shot means it has to bounce off the backboard twice. Which is kind of physically impossible. It's like yeah. bounce off the rim and then back on, and then go. Like it's like if you do it off the rim, it's kind of theoretically possible, but it's really, really hard. Mm. And and I guess the, the the most puzzling thing about this entire filing is it, why now? Like the it, it just seems really problematic to go into the market. I mean, again, in some respects, I want to cheer them on, right? Like, thank God someone's IPOing because I think some of these other companies are are ridiculous in their attempt to stay private, and I think it's to their detriment. But in this case, if you're – yes, their revenue is growing, but their costs are growing too. And, you know, how much of that revenue is – you know, because agencies will experiment, right? And they'll throw, you know, $50 million or whatever and try it out and see how it goes. But – is that is that is sustainable revenue? Is that revenue going to keep growing? Is is the user growth slowing? And if it slows, do you have a firm enough hold on that core demographic that you can keep growing average revenue per user indefinitely? Like I don't know. Then there's so many open questions here, and and they're going into the market, and it's 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 really hard to see in a year if there's. If there's so many things that have to go right for them, and if any of them go wrong, if this TV money doesn't really materialize, that's a problem. If Facebook copies more more features and there aren't – like Facebook itself is adding Facebook stories, right, to the core product. What if that dampens growth even more? Like what happens if – you know, right now the stats on ads in Snapchat aren't that great. People skip them like crazy, right? What if they never figure out a really compelling ad unit? And then you get a year on and people are underwater and you have to start paying out in crazy stock-based competition to get people to stay. And that's that's what happened to Twitter. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, they're really good questions, and they're tr- they're troubling questions. I, again, I've I've kind of hinted that I'm not a Snapchat user, but at the same time, for all the reasons we've talked about, I think it's fantastic that there's some competition in this space, in the social network space, in the space for advertising and for brand advertising. I think it's a good thing and it's a healthy thing. But I I. I so I, a couple of questions as I heard you ask those questions. The first one was I actually wonder as opposed to them being too early, I wonder whether they're actually too late. So I think the thing that really that perhaps was unexpected in all of this and that has that has turned the narrative entirely was the unexpected audacity of how well Facebook copied them. I don't know that they were expecting it. And the process of going to IPO is a long path. And I'm not 100% sure on the timing, but one of the hypotheses I would have is that they, when they started the process for filing, Instagram's attempt to copy uh, snap stories hadn't actually uh, hadn't announced it hadn't come to light and that they had a perfectly happy narrative of like you know what we're growing no one can catch us we have this great demographic we have this great user growth they started the path to the filing snap uh, instagram copies them what do you do in that situation like if you pull the filing as a result then it's like oh wow things are really serious so you you're on this path the train has left the station and now you're kind of stuck with it is that does that seem like a fair like guess as to why they might be filing in this in this period with all these questions that you raised yeah, I think they're filing because they want to file. They 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 want to have the they want to be a public company, um, for whatever reasons may may drive one to do that. It, it, I mean, like you can pull the plug, you can pull the plug, you can pull the plug at any time. And again, I I, I hesitate just to be clear. I, I I hesitate with the Snapchat Twitter comparison because again, like. Snapchat's product development velocity and sort of the vision of Spiegel is in such stark contrast to Twitter. I mean, Twitter's product basically stagnated for 10 mm-hmm. years. It's basically the same product it is today. It was then. And and so in that respect, it's it's a very unfair comparison. But it's also, you know, it's also the core thing, like, what's the business here? Like, what is the business? And that's a question that's that that hasn't really been answered. It's 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 really a it the business will come along. But and you know I've been writing about this advertising thing for for a while. I mean, I, what are you laughing about? Yes, Ben, yeah, you, you have been writing about it for a while. Sorry, yes. Well, no, it was a few years ago that I I wrote and I got a lot of grief about this that I wrote that. Facebook and Google are going to capture all of the advertising, and anyone who tries to build a non an advertising based business is in huge trouble. Mm. And and that's actually exactly what has happened. You know, over the last Precisely. year, Facebook and Google captured more than one hundred percent of growth in advertising because everyone else shrunk. And and in that world, like you know, if, if Snapchat had come along in the Twitter time frame, right back in two thousand seven or two thousand six, two thousand seven, and then were on the exact had the product velocity they have now, like they would be they would be well on their way to being dominant. And I guess the the big question is, you know. Is there is is there still a market to be built here? And again, I guess it comes back to the TV thing. Like, if that TV money really does start moving in a meaningful way away from TV into these apps, then Snapchat will get its fair share. But man, I I would it seems awfully tough to like 
basically, and this is the real, this is the real conundrum for Snapchat. I believe in Snapchat. I believe in even Spiegel as a product designer. I believe in the product of Snapchat. The problem is the company's fate seems to rest on something that's completely out of their control, which is this this shift in money. Which I mean, if if it is a timing thing, and if you, I mean, ultimately, I believe that it will happen, right? Like I I feel like. Uh, the the old world of TV and the advertising ecosystem that revolves around that it's days we it's days are numbered. There are certain exceptions, like and again within sports and so on. But like the the extent to which brand money that that uh, that that flowed into television from ten years ago that's going to look different in some amount of time. And if you are then playing a waiting game and you are developing products in order to keep your audience engaged, but you're not sure about how long it's going to take, then actually going out into the public markets and raising money in order to keep the flame burning, so to speak, is is probably not a bad call. And I would say Twitter's done, I mean, Twitter's in the position, it's still able to be <laughs> it's still operating as a company as a result of it um it raising public money now again i think the point that you've made around spiegel and being a uh, like a really really exceptional product guy and tw- and snapchat's ability to execute on product differentiates twitter uh, imagine if that had been the case with twitter they'd raised and maybe it wasn't entirely clear how it was going to work but they raised and they wrote it out and they kept evolving the product twitter would probably be in pretty good shape and i think you could make the same argument for snapchat as well yeah absolutely i mean remember twitter i would really late because it just took them so long to get their crap together right well it's a <laughs> running theme huh yeah it, it really yeah i mean twitter and twitter twitter never got the business right the, twitter's business is data like their data is unbelievably valuable mm. and they do jack to monetize it and they give it away to google i mean the, in one of the most inexplicable deals that that has ever been made um but but yeah i mean well here's here's another i want to go back to the question you raised i think it's a really good question about what if i talk about the user experience being important to aggregation theory like what what about facebook the user experience is critical to get you started Right, but the way the user the user experience is not just about sort of the the, the features of the product because mm. the way aggregation theory theorizes for, for lack of a better word mm. is you get a critical mass of consumers and what happens is that gives the aggregator power over suppliers and suppliers mm-hmm. commoditize themselves and they modularize themselves and they plug into the aggregator because they need to reach end users. But the implication of that is that the user experience becomes better. It becomes better not because of product development per se or the user interface. It becomes better because there's more suppliers on the platform, right? If Just to use an example, if you go to a grocery store that's the shelves are bare and you go to but it has great service and you go to another grocery store that has terrible service but the shelves are fully stocked, which one is a better user experience? Obviously, the one with the content on the shelves. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, and so, so the user experience, user experience is an all-encompassing term. That's not just user interface. Right. It, it's and so what Facebook has is is it gets it has this virtuous cycle where you know content providers are on there and your and your ads provider and your friends are on there and groups are on there. And yes, I know it 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 has all the problems that we've talked about where because it kind of demands your public profile and that what's what gives it its power. It also left an opening for a, a, a service like Snapchat. But this idea of them having more content also making user experience better is, is an important one to sort of sort of keep in mind. 
Yeah, and, and this is the, the that virtuous cycle. That is why that is just so critical for these social networks, particularly when it comes to people analyzing the business and deciding whether or not to invest because they they need to get they need to break out of orbit there needs to be this mass of users that will keep using the platform that brings in the content providers like you just described that creates more of the virtuous cycle and that's what i think is so arresting about what Instagram did with just copying the story so well is that it stopped the growth. Right. And that, that was, and that was the analogy that I made in the original article to Microsoft is that, you know, the analogy is Facebook's enterprises hold on the enterprise is Facebook's like network advantage, just the sheer size and power of the network that they can bring to bear. Like the, your user, your user interface advantage has to be astronomically better to sort of overcome that. And the the very, I mean, the both the combination of the quote unquote interface, but the experience and the recognition that there was this ver- at one end of the extreme, there was this very public profile and how it had to be perfect and how folks wanted something that was more uh, um, ephemeral, that was more in the moment, that was more real. Like that recognition and the fact that they recognized that and it got them, it got them a start was just like, I mean, this speaks to that. Um, Spiegel product insight and deep insight about human nature that they were able to get off the ground even in the in the in the presence of this overwhelming network that had this massive massive um, uh, market share. Right, exactly. And so the other sort of news that I think kind of fits in here is. I think Facebook might have said this before, but it didn't really click for me until this week. So Facebook ad has added like the video tab inside inside their app, right? Mm. And what's what's really interesting about that, and they talked about it on the earnings call uh, on the earnings a couple weeks ago, is so Facebook's already has like video in your timeline, right? And there was an there's an announcement that oh, Facebook's gonna have like mid roll ads, and everyone's like, so what? You're gonna have like video in your timeline, and it's gonna slowly start playing it. Like it, it didn't really make sense, right? Mm. And it turns out, actually, the way to really understand is that Facebook has two products. Facebook has in-timeline video and in-timeline video ads. And the video ads can be there because there's other video you want to watch. So they, they fit in, right? Mm. They, we had this whole discussion about native ads and whatnot, right? Yes. The, Facebook getting video into the timeline makes video ads, which are much more monetizable, into a native product as to a mm-hmm. foreign product. And this is, again, this is Facebook's sort of brilliance in how they think about developing their product, not just from a product perspective, but from a business perspective, yeah. right? Facebook created the conditions for video ads, which again are much better, much more profitable ad unit. They created the conditions for video ads by first getting video into the timeline that you wanted to see. And once you got used to video in the timeline, then they could drop in video ads, right? They didn't just they didn't just go straight to ads. They were they were very systematic about it. They are they are incredibly disciplined about thinking about this stuff, not just from a product perspective, but also from a business model perspective. And it is, I mean, I think it uh, it it accounts for at least a large part of their continued success. That discipline, the way they think about these things. Well, that and they will they are they have the humility. Like frankly, Zuckerberg has the humility to buy. Like, like buying Instagram, like (laughs) this conversation would be totally different if Facebook hadn't bought Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) Needless to say the, um, but the other thing, so they have the video tab though. And what's interesting is those, that video tab, Facebook talked about on the call. They want to change that into a destination 
as opposed to they I've talked about again and again and they Zuckerberg you know I'm not saying he's using my words but he was saying the same thing that I've said previously where Facebook is a place you go in the I, I like to call it in my poetic twist of you know sense of words the empty spaces of your life right mm. the times when you're not doing stuff but you know you're standing in line you're in the bathroom you're it's waiting for the bus whatever it might be and you flip open Facebook and you face through right that's not a time where you're seeking stuff because you don't have time to seek stuff you're just looking for a diversion and Facebook has has filled that market has dominated that market and what's interesting about this video tab is is Zuckerberg was quite explicit what they want to do with that they want that to be a place you actually go to where that's not a place you're going to go to when you're standing in line. That's not a place you're going to go to when you're, you know, yeah. sitting on the loo. That's a place you're going to go to when you're sitting on your couch and you want something to watch. Yeah. Netflix instead of Netflix. And the, the ethnographic nature of it in inside of a user's life is entirely different. Right. One is like three seconds, like I've got a gap, I'm on the bus, I don't want to concentrate. One is like, I want to be entertained. Right, exactly. I think it's it's probably more YouTube at least to start yeah, in some right. respects. Yes. But and but yeah, it's fascinating because it's Facebook basically I mean, this is a it's a it's a aggressive move. Like they are trying to add on a fundamentally different use case to their app, which is which is you know in a, a pretty impressive move, but why can they do it? They can bring to bear that audience, right? They when they finish rolling out the video tab, they will have nearly two billion people with a video tab, right? And that's that's a pretty good head start to to defining a new job for your for your application. Yeah, I mean, of course, and, and, and that's where and that's where the that's where the mid roll ads go in, right? And, and if you think about it, mid roll ads are on TV. That's like you start watching a TV show and then a mid roll ad comes in, and that's what they're that's where they're going is going on the video tab. They're not going in the timeline ads. They're going in the video tab videos. Yeah, and it, I mean, this is always. I mean, this is the tension and the temptation, though. You've built something incredible, and obviously, you want to you want to take advantage of that to keep moving orthogonally into other markets to keep growing. Is this a space in which, uh, it, which in users' minds, what you are doing is compatible with where you are, or close enough such that I'm willing to try and go a little bit further across. Now, I don't know about other folks, but I've been seeing Facebook Marketplace and it feels like they're going after eBay. And this is an instance where it feels like they're going a bridge too far. And Facebook, are, they have pushed and they have gone too far. I I have a suspicion though that this, this idea that uh, going after YouTube, and I think you're right, it's not Netflix, at least not to begin with. YouTube is exactly in the targets. I have a feeling that this is, I mean, it's it's not it's it's believable that people could start to adopt this. It's not too far afield from where they are already. Right. I mean it's a it's a it's a lot easier to, to click on a tab than it is to like actually go out and seek out a new app. Right. I mean, it, I mean, that sounds stupid because it's just pressing buttons. But there, there's a mental barrier, right? You're yes. already you're already in Facebook, and the reason I bring this up in the context of Snapchat, why is Facebook doing that? They are doing that to put themselves in the position to capture the brand advertising money that everyone is expecting to come from TV. Right, and so Snap Facebook's not standing still. It's not just that they're copying Snapchat features; it's that they are actively making very aggressive moves on their own that aren't imitating Snapchat, but are targeting Snapchat's 
buyers, the people who give Snapchat money. And and you know, even if TV moves, you know, the one of the big reasons the advantages TV still has, even with its shrinking audience, is again, we've talked about this. Advertisers want to buy at scale, right? Because brand advertising, you're you're not you're shooting a, you're shooting a, it's too much of like a shotgun approach, right? Mm-hmm. You can't afford to spend a lot on every marginal customer that you're reaching with brand advertising because you'll never make enough money back. So you want to reach as many people at one time as you can for the least amount of money. The I is much more important in brand advertising, the return on investment. Whereas direct marketing, you can, you'll be willing to spend yeah. a lot. People will spend $80 on a Google ad because the return is so is so massively high, right? It's just the, the equation is fundamentally different what matters between brand and direct marketing. And you know, Facebook, you know, Facebook's not sitting still either. Yeah, right. And uh, we've talked about it, like getting people at the top of the funnel, building awareness so that they're a little bit more likely to convert later on versus they're at the point, maybe they've typed in a Google search, I want to buy something or like, where's the best whatever. And that's the point when they're qualified and they're about to make a purchase. At that point, you're much more willing to, to pay more for them. And it's a much more measurable thing. Whereas brand is like, you're, you're, it's like little bits of inception along the way so that people further down when they're walking the when they're walking the supermarket if they do such a thing or they're on amazon and an ad pops up they're more likely to go for your brand of shopping detergent or whatever than the competition because they've they've seen it it looks familiar maybe this one you know yeah the the other sort of big picture question that's that's worth asking is you know a theme for me at Chakri for sort of the last year has been how everything is is tied together, right? Mm. The the biggest advertisers on TV are cars, are big retailers, are CPG mm-hmm. companies, all all of which their business model is really fundamentally threatened by the internet. Because these are all mm-hmm. companies, they're mass market, but the mass market relative, the offline mass market relative to the internet is a middle market. It's a mid-sized market. And the internet destroys mid-sized businesses, right? It rewards mm-hmm. niche businesses that have high differentiation and can charge a premium. And it rewards massive scale businesses that can you know just operate internationally can operate at a scale unimaginable by even these 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 giant companies mm-hmm. and you know one wonders when and if this advertising sort of shifts away from tv you know mm. how much of it's going to be left that's a really good question because i mean that's a really good question i it, so anyhow like i said in some respects like i want to bet on snapchat because Again, I speak. I think Spiegel is incredible. Like from a product, from a product perspective, and who who doesn't want to cheer for the, the underdog, the best product? Well, not just the underdog, but who doesn't want to cheer for the product guy? Right, the one who's right. the one the, the one who's winning by having the best the best product. So, so you you asked that question, and it was actually slightly different from the question that I had in my mind around what I wanted to ask you. And I, I mean, I have a few ideas as well. Um, but what do you think they should do given this is happening? Well, I th- they like they need to they need to get a lot more serious about building their business. And I guess the th- this has always been the sort of questioner on Snapchat, and I've always kind of had faith that they were going to figure it out. Like, I mean, Z- again, to Zuckerberg's credit, he brought in people like Sheryl Sandberg, who and and the top some of the top Facebook you know, engineers, there's a guy named Boz who like took over the ads product, right? And it was a priority. And we just talked about how Facebook has a very, you know, to use the term we use for Snapchat, 
it's their own ladder up strategy. And we've talked about this and I've I, before where they talk about they build up the consumer use case. They get lots of people using it. Then they build up the business use case and then they give the businesses a way to monetize, right? And it's its own ladder. And the fact that it's a ladder that's focused on making money doesn't make it any less valid or impressive. It's actually in many respects more impressive mm-hmm. because they're actually building a functional business. And what what I want to see from Snap, I guess what was discouraging about this S1 was I didn't see any real evidence of a strategy beyond slap up some ads. And that's that that's not totally fair. They've done work around interesting ad formats and things like that. And you know, they talk about how their their consumer design team also is their ad design team and that's a big advantage because they can do really interesting stuff et cetera et cetera. And I, that that may be true, but I'm not seeing in I don't know. I guess I, I I'm not sure to be honest, I'm not totally sure what it'll look like, but I feel like there's more that Snapchat could do to from the, the the top down, make making money a priority, and mm-hmm. uh, and you you said it at the beginning to say there are no moats is a really problematic statement to make because if you believe there are no moats, then that means you have no business. Yeah, right. I mean, so interesting. So a couple of things. Do you really think that then, I mean, it's hard to match Facebook's discipline around the business side of things. Uh, but do you really feel that they're not serious about building the business side of things out? Like, no, I remember. You're, you're right. I didn't. I didn't. I guess I didn't mean they're not serious. They're not Facebook serious. Let's 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 put it that way. From what I can see, again, I'm not mm-hmm. inside the company. I, I I it's off in L.A. Like no one. There's a lot about the company that's relatively unknown. Mm. And you wouldn't like, given the the nature of Instagram just copying. Well, and uh, I mean, this is how they would Snapchat would characterize it. Instagram just copying what they did. I think they'd be a little bit nervous about painting a future too far out, given that I'm sure this is going to be a very well read document, including by their competition. Right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fair it's a fair point, and and you know, and they have interesting opportunities in in the product space. We already talked about the the augmented reality thing. I think spect- the yes. spectacles, which are not again, they're it's a non material product from a financial perspective but is a they're incredibly impressive i mean they're so well done and the way that we've talked about they created a market for them instead of like just google glass just throwing it out there right like the way that they develop the way they that's that spiegel and team have identified markets and not just identified like the original snapchat identified this underserved market of people who wanted to share stuff without fearing it's going to be spread everywhere right and but also with with spectacles what's so impressive is they created a market for a product that had previously failed and that's really that that's really impressive and and gives you hope that there is something here that they will figure out i mean i I have trouble believing they're not being a hardware company but in some respects like being a hardware company at least then you have the right people giving you money as opposed you know that that aligns with being a user having a user experience advantage this is exactly the point that i wanted to make like and i i i sorry i I stole it no 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 i i i i think the 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 fact that it comes out is more important than who says it like you when I was thinking, when I was reading your article and seeing the parallels between the, the parallel you drew between Snapchat and Facebook and then Microsoft and Apple and all our conversation at the start around business models and how, how, uh, the, the thing that changed that went from, uh, 
old Apple, which we remember, to new Apple, which all the young'uns are like, oh, like Ben's drawing comparisons with Apple and Apple's fantastic. Snapchat's going to do super well. The thing that changed is that Apple, like in this consumer market, it's, it's, it's advantage of developing this great experience aligned with where the money was coming from, which is the point you just made. And the thing that immediately came to mind and with the spectacles and with our previous conversation that we had as this is a fantastic beachhead in terms of like building out augmented reality like you've got a a quote-unquote toy product that people are absolutely delighted with and they're willing to pay money for and actually it's the one thing that's made me interested in snapchat like those spectacles are super freaking cool like it, it's like, I wonder if that is the future. Like, that's how they take it from running, and that's the moat they run towards, which is hardware and switching from your complaint around them getting money from advertising, whereas really this is just like a way of sparking the business. And they actually build something that it's not easy for Facebook or Instagram to copy, like delightful hardware that people want to use and want to pay for. Like, that's not something that can just be copied. It's not, but it's also something that's going to take years to build mm-hmm. out. You know what I mean? And that gets to yeah. the why now? Like, what's 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 the rush? You know, I'm hesitant to pin hopes on that because it's mm-hmm. so tiny right now, right? Yeah. It's, it's just it's just one thing. But again, th- this this point is so critical. I believe you can win with superior innovation, but. You, everything about your business has to be aligned. Mm-hmm. And I have trouble seeing the alignment between winning on superior innovation and monetizing via advertising. Yeah, I, I I would tend to agree. There aren't many companies that have done it well. Like you think about like great user experiences, it tends to be that those companies ask their users to pay for those experiences. It's just the way it is. And the difference with Google, again, Google has such a technical, Google, we've said it again and again, they're the exception that proves the rule. They have such a massive technical advantage and it's a reinforcing technical advantage because the more people use Google search, the better it gets. That, you know, and the more web pages that are, that Google gets better. I mean, that lets them, that gives them the luxury of just, quote unquote, slapping up some ads. You know, again, it's obviously a very complex ad product and the auction system, all sort of stuff. I'm not meaning to trivialize it. But same thing with Facebook. I mean, Facebook has that network. That network is so powerful that that gives them the luxury of of, of putting up those ads. And, you know, and Snapchat talks about this in the rest one. You know, they, they're really focused on making ads that their users like and aren't going to disrupt the user experience. And I'm that's great. I'm glad they're I'm glad they're doing that. But man, if they're in a year and they're and their user growth, you know, ideally for them, it will pick up. There's, they say there's other stuff like the Android app had problems and different things like that, et cetera, et cetera. And that may be true. Maybe the user growth will pick back up and maybe the, you know, the revenue will keep growing. And if so, kudos, absolutely kudos to them. They did the right thing. And I'm, I'm not going to discount that that might happen. It might. But if they are in the other situation where user growth is starting to flatten and they feel their stock's down and they feel pressure because all their employees are underwater. Like how long is that commitment to the user experience when it comes to advertising going to hold? Like at what point do they, you know, again, I think Spiegel is in the, he's keeping all voting rights and all, we can get into that. But mm-hmm. like he, I think he'll hold the line, but it's going to be an increasingly hard line to hold. It's hard to run an unaligned business. Let's put it that way. It, it, it's hard. It, it's hard to do. Yeah. I, it's 
It's crazy how, I mean, and I'm still bullish about this company's prospects, but the first time we talked about it, and and to be fair, we were very heavily anchored on how cool the spectacles are and talking about like starting out with a toy and building that out and how that could that could evolve into something that is that is like the 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 landing point the land the land and expand point for augmented reality because you're getting people to use them in a very narrow field and in a way they're delighted but we were so positive about them and it's interesting to see how quickly the tide turned based on something that was predictable if not uh, everyone saw co- coming, which was, I mean, you talked about Zuck being humble in terms of his ability to buy, but there's also a degree of humility in in admitting when a competitor has done something really well and just being willing willing to copy it. And it's amazing how that one thing seems to have really turned the company's fortunes quite a bit. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, two things. One, we, we talked about Snapchat a couple of years ago because I first put them as being the new version of TV uh, um, way back okay. then. Uh, no, which I'm is, not going that far back. You're right. Oh, well, it's fine because lots of people are right. Oh, Snapchat's new TV. And then I'm like, yeah, we, we've been there. Um, <laughs> the But the, the second point uh, is this has always been the question for Snapchat. And what like what is the what is the business model? And yeah, if you get to 500 million active users, if you get to 700 million active users, you, you do get the business model for free. That's, that's Google and Facebook, right? You, you don't, of course, Google and Facebook do amazing work with ads and making it into a compelling business. But if you have 700 million daily active users, like you're going to be a a good company. The problem for Snapchat is if they do, they have two, two options, either one, their user growth reaccelerates, and then it doesn't matter because they will. It will be impossible not to figure out a monetization strategy with ads. Or if their user growth stops growing, then their business acumen and strategy has to be perfect, right? And and what makes Facebook the juggernaut? They had both, right? They had the user never stopped growing, and they also nailed the monetization side of it, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to get at least one of the two. You know, Twitter didn't get either. You got to get one of the two. Yeah. And it will be it will be mighty interesting to see whether they do. It will. It will. So, uh endlessly fascinating company. It really it really yeah. is. And and again, the, the reactions to this article were so interesting because I, I just by bringing up Apple, you really did get sort of diversification of thing, but you know, I, I said it I said it at the end. Like the last thing I concluded and I I repeated this in in an update cuz it really captures how I feel. Like I, I believe in Snapchat, the company. I believe in their ability to innovate. I, I've, I think it's incredibly impressive what what they've done. But if there is any lesson to learn from the 1980s, from the Macintosh, a brilliant computer built by a brilliant product visionary, it's that that's not always enough. Yeah, it's not. You're you're spot on. Innovation by itself is not enough. It has to be paired with those ruthless business instincts. So it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. They they price their IPO. Um, it will it's going to go down pretty soon. And I'll I, I want an innovative company to succeed. I think it'd be great if they did. I and I hope they do. Yeah, me too. So anyhow, our thanks to Mailchimp once again for sponsoring this podcast as they do every week. And next week I will be finally be back in Taiwan, and I look forward to talking to you then. Have a safe trip back. All right, bye bye. See ya. <laughs>